All right, let's get started. This is the Pound for Pound podcast. This is the premiere of the Pound for Pound podcast. I am the Black Guru. What I offer is sage wisdom. Tonight, we're going to have a conversation about hip hop. In particular, who owns hip hop? I have my guest with me, the lovely Natalie. What's up, Natalie? What's good? What's good? All right. Let's talk. Uh, let's just get right into it. Um, what's a little bit of your background before we get started? Um, well, we ain't got all day, so I'll just synthesize it. Um, I run an arts and cultural network with my girl, Nora Rahimian, called Culture Fix. We've been doing that for the last six years, um, building bridges across borders and uh, facilitating relationships and doing a lot of different projects. So that's been my life for the last six years. I was born into hip hop culture. My father was a DJ. Um, so that's always been kind of a centerpiece of my own life. But as far as like professionally, I've been around like studios and doing different stuff in the hip hop industry from uh, managing artists to running tours here in Europe, bringing cats over here from different places. So uh, I've kind of been knee deep in this culture for many, many years. Okay. All right. That's what's up. Now, what sparked this is a debate that we had previously as far as the origins of hip hop and how I assert that black Americans own hip hop so much so that we can dictate what is hip hop and what isn't hip hop. Do you agree with that? I will agree that black Americans on the origins of hip hop culture and that it was birthed here. That's what I agreed to say the last time we spoke about this, the last 800 times. <laughs> All right, so what you, what you disagree with? So what I disagree with um, is in the current moment, hip hop be become this global culture and it's been that way for many decades. Um, it's not anything new, like, you had cats in late 70s in Europe doing stuff. You had cats in Brazil and all over the place uh, being engaged in this culture. So it's nothing new. So what I'm saying is that hip hop has become a global participatory culture and that we, as far as like what it's become, it has become shared ownership. And I also disagree with just the notion of ownership in general. Ownership mm. is a very capitalist term. Um, and I'm not a capitalist per se, so I don't, I, I feel some kind of way about that. Just the term mm. ownership. So maybe we'll dive deep into that tonight. Well, we're going to dive deep into it right now. See, <laughs> the, the, the problem is, see, the, the thing about that is, um, we talk about ownership and, um, it's, it's not problematic because it's born in America. America is a capitalistic society. So if hip hop is born in America in a capitalistic society, black people can rightfully own hip hop. And in the idea of a shared ownership, like when did, when did the world buy stocks in hip hop to where they can have a shared ownership? When did we go public to where everybody can buy into it? So my issue is that I, my, I myself from my own perspective, differentiate between the actual culture and the capitalism that's been attached to this culture. I don't, I find that they are two very different things. So this idea of like ownership is very much attached to the industry portion of what 
has basically capitalized on the culture of hip hop. So that's why I don't necessarily agree with it. And I also disagree uh, with this issue of like ownership just in general, because a lot of these cats that were on the forefront of birthing this culture were basically uh, subjected to the ills of capitalism. And that's why hip hop has kind of like grew out of the concrete so to speak so I, I you're you're making your your main point is about this issue of ownership and capitalism and blah 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 but like I would even posit that a lot of these people were kind of uh didn't have access to ownership period they didn't have access to this these capitalist notions that you're talking about so I living in under-resourced communities like Bronxdale or living just in the Bronx in general so I I don't really like I'm trying to understand where you're coming from with this issue of like I'm ownership. coming from this this is where I'm coming from with ownership because we talk <laughs> we talk about America and um we look at the history of black Americans in this country and the idea is you don't own anything. So to be told uh once more by the world that you don't even own one of the most valuable things you've ever created, which is hip hop, you don't even own that is problematic considering who's being told that right who's being look at the people we're telling that uh don't own anything the people who were actually property themselves are being told we don't own something all right that's problematic while at the same time people are dressing like black americans sounding like black americans doing our thing and then turning back around and telling us well it's shared ownership we don't own it it's a global thing um don't worry about it. That's just capitalism. And we can't get, we can't be told these type of things because this is how we get fucked out of our own culture. We've, we've, I don't we've, think we've anybody, gone down this road before. I don't think anybody's fucking with the culture or whatever. I think what you're positing or what you're bringing to the forefront is this, basically it's a philosophical puzzle. Like, and you're talking about owning a quote unquote artifact. Some, you know, hip hop in many ways isn't just tangible. It's, in many ways intangible. So like we talk about ownership and all these issues come up about appropriation, all these issues coming up about who has the right to benefit economically from this culture, who has ownership um, to the assets that have been created by this culture. Again, a culture that has become very global over the last three and a half, four decades. So, I mean, I, this becomes an issue of like ethics and morality. And I think in terms of ethics, we have to really like dig deep into like what occurred like from the beginning. And maybe we can get into some of the history and like what you perceive as being the history of hip hop. And we can go from there. Cause I mean, we can argue all day about who owns what, but I think if we kind of start from the beginning or at least attempt to, like we can perhaps try to get somewhere and resolve this issue of quote unquote ownership and who has free rights to make use of hip hop culture, who, you know, and getting to all these like philosophical questions, like. All right, I wanna show, I wanna show, um, or I wanna play something. I'm live right now, Periscope. Um, but I wanna play something because it's interesting that you say that because, you know, we got people, we got black Americans who made what would ultimately be considered rap music going back really a long long time but you can go back to like the 19 like the 1930s you know here's here go uh pig meat markham you know in 1968 for example i'm, I'm gonna play a piece of um a 
an album that was made in 1968 by a man by the name of Pygmy Martin Markham. And y'all tell me if this is rap or not, if it sounds like rap to you. Yeah, he, yeah, he, this coat is now in session. His honor, Judge Pygmy Martin Poseidon. It's just about ready to do that thing. I don't want no tears, I don't want no lies. Above all, I don't want no alibis. This judge is hip, and that ain't all. He'll give you time if you're big or small. Fall in line, or this coat is neat. Peace, brother. Oh, here come the judge. Here come the judge. Everybody know that he is. Now that's 1968, and that yeah that was nice. I liked it. that was 1968. Natalie, we got people busting flows in '68. Now, I mean, what was the what was the rest of the world doing in '68? We can we can go back even further than that. We can go back to the '30s and '40s, but we could also go back to other, uh, even back to West Africa and look at cultural traditions like Tasso and Senegal and they were rapping too. Rapping is not a new thing. Rapping is an ancient artistic tradition that could be found in much of Africa and other traditions across the globe. Like, but I assert that I want to pinpoint uh, West Africa more than other places uh, for obvious reasons. We can go back to Jamaica. We can go back to the culture of toasting and reggae and how a lot of our hip hop pioneers and legends were descendants or grandkids or sons and daughters of Caribbean parents and grandparents. So they brought that toasting with them. And I think a lot of times uh, people want to talk about the late sixties, but we can go way back further than that. Yeah, but see, and you know, here go another piece of game that go along with that, you know, a lot of people look at Cool Herc, you know what I'm saying? And Cool Herc started, uh, you know, he gets accredited of being a father of hip hop. But even Cool Herc said that he was running with folks who was doing hip hop already. So a lot of people look at, you know, who Cool Herc's parents were, and then they trace mm -hmm. that back to some of the influences. But Cool Herc said himself he was influenced by James Brown. So that's acknowledging the roots of hip hop being an American tradition. You know, some of the sounds, um, you know, nobody has a monopoly on sound itself. We understand that. But what hip hop is and ultimately became to be, that's a black American thing. You know, and that denotes ownership as far as I'm concerned. Even the pioneers, even the person accredited Cool Herc um, with his background being from the Caribbean and different places, acknowledged that his influences musically was actually James Brown. But it, I think a lot of academics and quote-unquote hip-hop historians pinpoint Cool Herc as being the founder of this culture rather than look at um, and, and trying to make it as if hip-hop is a singular thread rather than a 
basket uh, full of kind of yarn. And it's not it's not just Cool Herc. There are many other people that came before Cool Herc or were in Bronxdale houses like uh, Charlie Rock and the Black Spades. Hip hop grew out of this this warring factions. You have the Black Spades and other crews or whatever tagging. They were already doing these art forms before Cool Herc came around 40 something years ago and had a party at 1520 Segwick in South Bronx. There were other stuff going on in Bronxdale. There were other things going on in other parts of the Bronx that people don't acknowledge. And academics and even people who have written hip hop books have ran with this singular thread of hip hop culture and its quote unquote history. And that is very problematic. Um, there are other people like DJ Disco King Mario who brought a lot of people from all over the place to come rock parties at one, two, three. There were all, uh, it was basically like a school kind of situation where they would have parties at. There were other cats like DJ Disco with, there were other cats, uh, I can keep going on and on, uh, MC Shaw Rock and you know, Fearless Four and blah, blah, blah. They were on the, the cusp of this culture and building this culture from the ground up and they don't get the recognition that somebody like Cool Herc and a lot of this, um, at least from an academic perspective and people that I talk to on a regular basis or whatever, they basically have erased the history of the Black Spades. They've erased a lot of the history of DJ uh, Disco King Mario and all these other people to basically center Cool Herc and, and posit him as the founder of hip hop culture, rather looking at hip hop culture as a collective um, birth between all these different people and uh, the Black Spades and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, we'll see. I, I think that that's very problematic. I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. But but my thing is this, okay? Because we got to look at it as as a as a developing thing, right? So you we got all these different people, you know, vying for um, influence to early hip hop, you know. But we actually just played, and I like you said, I can keep playing songs from. Mm -hmm. Um, like you said, even the twenties and thirties where people were rapping, right? So, so right. The, the, the baseline of what rap is, was already here in America. But I think a more important point or a, a point that connects to the previous point is when did hip hop become global and it became global in the nineties, it became global in the nineties, <laughs> it became, it became popular mainstream in the nineties. That's you can't, that's not a. I mean, that's just a fact. It went from it went from an underground culture to a mainstream culture in the 90s. I disagree. Did it not? It, no, I disagree. Um, actually, and well, I just want to back up a little bit. When graffiti was first written about, that was in the New York Times, and they had this article, I believe it was called Taki Spawn's Pin Pals, and it's basically the first article about graffiti. So that was way before 1973. But it wasn't until 1979 um, and they had this breakout success of Rapper's Delight, and you had this article in the East Village Eye, and it was an interview with Bambata, and he's talked, and it was kind of the first mention of hip hop and its culture to ever be in print. But like, so you have all these things that, oh, let me back up. You have Martha Cooper, she also had an article in the Village Voice, and she was talking about grass and um, breaking, b-boying, breaking. And so then you had Wild Style and the Style Wars. So I think, in my opinion, just from people that I've talked to across the globe over the years that I've been involved with uh, international hip hop, is a lot of people have their own respective origin stories and like what has happened, but it definitely wasn't in the 90s um, where hip hop I'm, first began I'm talking to about main, I'm talking about mainstream appeal, not just its origins or the, the creation, 
leaking globally. I'm talking about mainstream MTV global appeal that happened in the 90s. Well, you you had cats in the in the early the late 70s, early 80s on Dutch TV b-boying. Um, MC Deans was, I don't want to put him on blast, Matt, having Jerry Curl and he's on there with uh, his whole crew and they're b-boying and breakdancing. So you have other cats in the UK and France and Germany in the 80s um, participating in this culture and it was very mainstream as far as youth culture went. You saw it on TV there. You saw big shows. You saw cats having park jams in Brazil. So I this notion that it came in the 90s, like I disagree with that. Maybe in somewhere like Southeast Asia or, you know, uh, these lesser uh, visible countries. Yeah, maybe that in the late 90s. But even in Japan, you had cats in the 80s rocking and having big ass festivals. But then so festivals I, I wasn't hip hop festivals, though. Now that you, you conflate things. How do you know, though? Because I'm looking at it. Them was them was what they call that shit over there? Jungle music. That's what them uh, niggas was music doing. Jungle music wasn't even a thing in Japan. Like, what are you it, talking about? I ain't talking about, about Japan. I'm talking about the UK. No, they had huge festivals, bro. Them they festivals, huge... them that fe them festivals was electro music. That shit was not hip hop. That shit was funk, in the, no, jazz, not in the 90s, different shit. Bro. Not in the nineties, bro. I'm talking about the eight. I'm talking about the eighties. I'm not conflating anything. I'm telling you from my perspective, people that I know. Um, what they were doing in the 90s. They had pirate radio, huge pirate radio that was heard all across Europe. So I don't I don't know what this thing you get about the being the 90s that that was kind of the explosion of hip hop overseas. Yeah. Like that was happening way before that. That's when hip hop went global in the 90s. That's when it went mainstream. You talking about you talking about it appearing different places at different times. I'm talking about its mainstream appeal was in the 90s. It was I was on MTV in Europe in the 80s. They weren't even playing black music in the 80s. They didn't, bro, they had all kinds of music, bro. They were playing hip hop in Europe in the 80s. They had Hip Hop Connection, which was came out six months before The Source, and that came out in 88. That was six months before The Source had a newsletter. And they had an actual hip hop magazine in the UK called Hip Hop Connection. That was huge, and that probably lasted like two decades, I believe. So, what's all so, this other shit then? What's all this jungle music, this garage music? What's all that shit then? If they was doing hip hop um, globally at that time, what's what's this other sound that they was doing and having festivals about? No, cats are doing reggae. Cats are doing uh, dance hall. Cats are doing jungle and drum and bass. Like they, and those were their own communities. Some cats came out of disco here in the states. Uh, in the late 60s, early 70s to do hip hop. So some cats went to disco and hip hop events. Like DJ uh, Charlie Rock actually has a video on YouTube where he talked about how he used to go to disco and then after that died out for the night, they'd go to a hip hop event at one, two, three or something. So this place where you're trying to go to posit that hip hop was uh, overseas was global in the 90s, like I don't understand where you're getting that from. I'm talking about knowledge that I know, people that I know, the spaces that I've been in, the knowledge that I've picked up from actual legends and pioneers and people who laid the foundation elsewhere. And even people that came from the Bronx here, I taught, used to hang out with them in New York all the time. So I'm talking about things that I know. There's a lot of stuff on the internet, um, especially about Cool Herc, that is basically, again, going back to the singular thread that reiterates that a historical history of hip-hop so you can read whatever you want i'm talking about the knowledge that i've encompassed that i picked up from cats 
All right. You know, what did they I've tell you? What did they tell you who was influencing them at that time? So if, it's all, so if it's global, so if it's global in the eighties, which which is a weird assertion, but oh, it's a weird assertion because it wasn't it wasn't even mainstream in America in the eighties. So that, that's that's why this thing is it's it's not add, adding up because it wasn't even mainstream in America. You say it was being played on MTV in the eighties. Michael Jackson was barely even getting played on MTV in the eighties. So that that's what I'm you saying have- with. What, what what are we saying you can, here? You can go on YouTube and there's a Dutch TV. I will actually pull it up and put it on Twitter after we record the show. And there's MC Beams, who's laid the foundation with other people in the Netherlands or whatever for hip hop there. And it's 1986, I believe. And they're on Dutch TV, b-boying and doing their thing. It's 1986 on TV. You know, hip hop was already in the East Village Eye. They had, like I uh talked about wild styles and style wars. I talked about New York Times covering uh, graffiti or writing in 1971. So what's your idea of mainstream? Are you talking about the industry itself? Yes, mainstream, not just on TV. That's what I'm, that's what I'm like. <laughs> you like, like, oh no, it was some niggas beatboxing, you know, outside of, I'm like, nigga, well, no, I, mainstream. I talked about TV though. I gave you an example. When Wild Style and Style Wars came out, you had all kinds of grab cats and DJs and B-boys and MCing touring Europe and Asia, and they brought Wild Style and Style Wars with them. So I don't, like, you know what I mean? There were commercials and television shows and films and tons of corporate, like, oversaturations where B-boys were on TV in 1985, the mid 80s. So- That nigga's a mainstream, it's okay. No, you're trying, to, <laughs> okay. you're, trying to, you're trying to conflate hip hop culture with the industry. I'm, t- but I'm giving you clear examples of where you can find hip hop in mainstream media in the mid '80s. On on Dutch TV, that what you said? On, Some niggas on, on Dutch, Dutch TV. On Dutch TV, you're talking about hip hop showed up in the '90s. It came mainstream '90s, like they were already on TV in the '80s. Being on TV don't mean you mainstream. Just because you own TV, if you're not on one of the most popular networks or popular channels, it's you can on, be on. You're continuing to move the goalposts. No, I'm saying, I'm saying this. I'm just saying this. It's, uh, we we understand there's a difference between being on TV and being on a popular mainstream network. Like a I'm MTV. not talking about public access. I'm talking about TV, TV. that bro <laughs> you bro <laughs> i'm giving you clear examples anybody can go look that up the 1981 village voice article where they're talking about graph you can go look up wild style and style wars and how cats are taken out all over the globe with them you could go look up pirate radio on the uk you can go look up london posse you can go look up all this shit okay and with that being said what did they what did they end up doing with all of this influence and all of this exposure Who's they? They anybody who was on the Dutch TV and the different stuff. Did they did they become global acts themselves? MC Deems actually spent a lot of time in China. It was actually a hip hop ambassador to China. You have a lot of and he was touring Europe for many, many years. He still toured. He was actually a part of Gangstar Foundation and still is. So he was deep with Guru, DJ Premier, and still is. Big Daddy Kane. These are all the cats that he was with in Brooklyn. So he did a lot of amazing things with his career and still is to this day. 
20, 30 something years later. Well, well, before we get too far into revisionist history, you know, that's not revisionist. What you're saying is revisionist. History. No, what I'm saying is not revisionist. It's clear that the East Coast, West Coast situation took rap to an entirely different level, higher than what any appearance in the 1980s did on Dutch TV. Right. The things that happened in America in the 90s took rap from one level to another. It took it mainstream. I don't understand how a B-boy popping off in the Netherlands in 86 can be compared to what the East Coast, West Coast uh, I'm, I'm beef did. But, but notice what I'm saying. But what the, what the East Coast, West Coast beef did to mainstream hip-hop and to the mainstream consciousness of not only America, but the world. That's what I mean by mainstream. I'm not talking about simple appearances on particular outlets. I'm talking about what took hip hop from this underground um, or, or less often not talked about genre of music to being the premier music in all of music. That happened in the 90s. That transition happened in the 90s. You're continuing to move the goalposts to prove your point. I've when only, Rapper's I've only, Delight no, when Rapper's point was Delight that it was mainstream. Out, no, that's when people started really like, oh, what the fuck is this hip hop shit? And so it in that moment became mainstream. I agree that we have two people posit that we have one, but we actually had two golden eras. So I understand where you're saying, but that beef was manufactured. That's industry shit. So for me, like I differentiate between the industry shit and actual hip hop culture. So you're keep talking and going back to mainstream, whatever the fuck that means. And trying to make a point and move, continuously moving the goalposts. That particular interview and that particular performance that I'm talking about on Dutch TV was actually pretty huge. The stuff that I'm talking about, the Village Voice. It wasn't. Times, it wasn't Wild huge South in America. Wars, that's huge. It wasn't huge here. It doesn't matter. No, people that were checking for it here were checking for it here. It was huge in Europe, it, and that was my point. But that's my point. Now, now if people if people checking for it, got to be the people checking for it. It ain't mainstream. That's all I'm saying. No, that's your that's your opinion. Come on, that's your opinion. You're continuously asking, moving the the goalposts, and trying to set the litmus test uh, through your lens of American exceptionalism, as if that's the end of the fucking world, and that's it. No, we established we established hip hop was born in America. That's why we come back to America with these things because we're coming home. So it's not me moving the goalposts to set the 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 um. No, you're what trying to prove means. Point. I'm just saying that's why I come back to what happened in America because this is the home of hip hop. So what happened in these different parts of the world at these particular times, while important to the to the broader concept of hip hop, is not as important as what happened here that translated everywhere else. Okay, but you're saying West Coast, East Coast beef was important. And yes, I agree with that to some extent, but I also acknowledge that that beef was manufactured by the by the I industry. agree. We're in so agreement. we so We're in that being on that. said, how important really was that? Because it changed hip hop forever. That's why. It took hip hop from this localized sound to being a mainstream dominant force in all of music. But it was already Not mainstream though. That's my point. Mm, I don't know what I mean. Are you saying rappers delight is even though I understand the history behind that song and the actual group itself, and then most pioneers and legends don't really check for that. 
are you negating that that was a the point of like breakout success of this culture and it's mainstream like nature it going mainstream are you negating that i'm negating it in a sense that at that time um people were suggesting that hip-hop was a fad even after rappers delights popularity people still considered hip-hop a fad that will one day wear off no different than disco or some of the things that came before after the hip uh the east coast west coast beef after the deaths of Pac and big Hip hop mm -hmm. became a permanent fixture on top of billboards and on top of global sound as far as music. Hip hop went from this thing that those kids did to the thing that everybody was doing. Okay. That's that's really was my only point with that. Now, you made a lot you made a lot of uh great points as far as, you know, hip hop appearing in public places prior to um that Beef between East Coast, West Coast. But I would say, to your point, that's no different than Sugar Hill Gang breaking out, being popular here in America. But there was a paradigm shift with the Tupac Biggie situation that shifted the paradigm of the music genre forever. That was my only all point. I'm all I'm saying is that I, I, I see things a little bit differently. And like I said earlier, in the mid-80s, there were already B-boys and an oversaturation of b-boys going underground and coming back up for air and being on television shows and films and different commercials and i posited that it was wild style and style wars that actually took hip-hop mainstream even though like you're talking about east coast west coast beef like i i just feel like we need to go back a little bit further than that i don't think that that was the point at which hip-hop actually went like mainstream like sorry all right, so when, when would you say hip-hop went mainstream? I'm talking about not not just public, because we can suggest that the things that you and I mentioned prior to that is when hip-hop went public, right? It was a public entity with Sugar Hill Gang, with some even Run DMC doing a crossover with um, uh, Aerosmith, things like that made hip-hop public. But when did the shift happen to where hip-hop was the dominant music, form of music everywhere i basically when would said, you say i i would posit that in the mid 80s as i've mentioned a million times when wild style and star wars came out people were like oh what the fuck is this shit and so you had like a obviously a little gap of years where people were kind of exploring that but i feel like growing up in this culture especially somewhere like california people were always enamored with the concept of scratching or always enamored with rap and like that was all around me you know i think it was around 2001 well let me back up 1996 they have the telecommunications act um and so they basically buy up stations across the country and they create all these hot 97 and power 101s and blah blah or whatever so now they start replicating identical playlists they don't care what region you're in where you're at now they start creating that now you have people thinking that that's hip-hop going mainstream so i i just we're conflating something that has really nothing to do with hip-hop culture basically fueled by like industry politics and bullshit and we're 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 attacking that to the culture itself i understand where you're trying to get to but for me like a cat being on dutch tv in the mid 80s like that like that was that was huge cats 50 60 70 000 cats at a 
hip hop festival in Croatia or the Czech Republic, like that, you're telling me that that's not mainstream, that people are not attaching themselves to this culture until like the late 90s or early 2000s, like. I said the 90s, see now, okay, with the goalposts, man, I said the 90s. I didn't say no late 90s and 2000s, I said the 90s, and I was specifically focusing on the middle of the 90s, but let me, let me, let me bring this all the way around, so that way we're not just kicking the ball back and forth on this topic. The reason I bring that up is because when we talk about the uh, who owns hip hop, when when black Americans, black people in this country lost Biggie and lost Tupac, that shit hurt, right? That shit fucking yeah. hurt. It hurt the industry. It hurt everything. It hurt it like it was a real emotional loss. And what I'm suggesting is that from my perspective, and I allow you to follow up on this, from my perspective, mm -hmm. the world and you can educate me on this, has not put the blood, sweat, and tears that black Americans have to not only create hip-hop, but to expand its popularity over time. With the depths of a Nipsey Hussle, with the depths of a um, one of my favorite rappers, Mac Dre, from obviously Tupac and Big, um, Jam Master J, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. that, whole, that whole energy took hip-hop to another level. I don't see that globally to where some other nation or some other uh, derivative of hip-hop hip put that level of blood, sweat, and tears in their hip-hop to take it globally mm -hmm. the same way Black Americans did? Um, I, I would posit this. We ha we've had a lot of deaths in this culture, and not just from the hands of the police or the system itself or um, people being locked down for being a political prisoner. Like, we've had, you know, Prodigy, we've had tons of cats pass away. I acknowledge that, but I also acknowledge um, that in places like South Africa during apartheid, cats were knee deep in this hip hop shit and risking their lives to go DJ at a club in the middle of the township. Like people have died over that shit and people, you know, um, but it's also been used as a bridge to make peace in places like Rwanda. Hip hop was a catalyst for that, for hip hop to men the 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 genocide that was placed on people in rwanda because of of imperialism and white supremacy and all kinds of other bullshit that was going on and hip-hop helped to mend that even today there's been some rec reconciliation processes that have been put in place you utilizing hip-hop as the catalyst for that so to state that people haven't lost their lives even in brazil i've been in brazil a billion fucking times and cats are constantly under attack by the political system there. P cats are being killed in Chile. Cats are being killed by and assassinated because of the, their messaging in their hip hop music, in their culture, or daring to have a festival to rise up against the government. And uh, several years ago in Senegal, their uh, Yenamare, they ran up against the government and they're making music talking about the corruption in Senegal. This has happened all over the world where cats have put their lives on the line. Um, following the, the following our blueprint, but go ahead. Following our blueprint, but go ahead. No, I, I would even posit that a lot of cats, especially these Yenamati guys, they basically use their music to basically collapse an entire uh, political system. So, and they've been doing that. People have been doing that. And I don't think it's about just using our blueprint it's using their own voice, using their own culture, using their own being, using their own soul to do this work. So I think like, you're straight out of Compton, like, 
a crazy motherfucker named Ice Cube. I mean, I'm saying like fuck you the police. Anything else happening elsewhere because of your American exceptionalism and your your perspective, instead of wanting to learn about what's happening in other places and understanding that people have been bucking up against the system for hundreds, if not thousands of years across Look, the globe. Look, see, that's the hold on wait a second. Nah, nah, that's the thing. That's the thing. What? Who are we? Who are we? Who are we talking to when we say this? We talking to Black Americans when we say I'm not negating anything have, about Black Americans. I'm though. just saying you preach it to the choir when you say these people have bucked the system and all of this type of stuff. Black Americans and have I'm been not, bucking the system since since before anything was anything around here. So we understand struggle and, and all of that type of stuff, and we okay, put that in our music. Going back to to ragtime music, I'm not I'm not negating their struggle, but I'm saying. These people are turning around. Let's go back to the beginning of the conversation. These people are turning around telling us that it's a shared ownership and it's and nobody actually owns it. And actually other people created no, not, it. This is what we're being told at I the same time. I didn't say other people created it. I didn't say that. Not, no, no, you didn't say that. I was just, even uh, the list of things I just mentioned were just general um, things that are out there about this topic. So not you specifically. But I'm saying this is, this is the sort of thing black Americans get told. And then look at our history. We understand that there's oppression throughout the globe and people are using their music to fight oppression. Well, damn, we've been doing that shit since Wade in the Water. Like, come on, like, we, we understand that. That's, that's a mute point when, when we talk to black Americans. Wouldn't you agree? I would say that we've been bucking the system since we even fucking got here. Let's keep it 100. But I'm not going to sit up here and negate somebody else's struggle to center myself and shit on them because I don't fucking know their music or I don't know where they come from. I don't understand their struggle or I can't relate or my lens as a Westerner won't allow me to see them or their fucking humanity and the shit that they've had to go through during apartheid or during genocide or during the occupation of fucking Palestine and how people have put their lives on the line. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying and I agree with that. You know, I have answer of Black Panthers. I have folks that have you know, struggled and been fucking impoverished and under-resourced communities and didn't have shit. So I understand more than most people. You know, I saw fucking the cops fucking drop dope in my fucking neighborhood and cats pick that shit up and them get sucked into the school to prison pipeline. I saw that shit. But I've and who made music with, and my movie. thing is who made music related to that? Dope getting dropped in the neighborhood and, and, and getting fucked over by the police. Who made music? We're not talking about Palestine. We, I'm not negating that. But what I'm saying is... But people that was my point, take, though. But people are taking our blueprint and doing stuff globally. That's my thing. People are coming and saying, okay, this is what the black Americans did. They go do it globally. And when we say, hey, y'all, what's up? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was our thing. Nah, this was our thing the whole time. Like, whoa, we can't get Nobody's no... saying Nobody's saying it's our thing the whole entire time. I don't know any pioneer or any legend. I know cats from all over the fucking globe that say, this has been our thing. Like, we originated the shit. I don't know anybody who's ever said that shit. I, I've known nobody who said that shit. Everybody I know pays homage to cats. Grandmaster Cat, Jazzy J, Cool Herc, uh, whoever. You know what I mean? that was on the foundational level of this culture. I don't know anybody who's ever negated that. So let's, let's dead that right now. But what I am saying is this, people, a person like Shadia Mansour, who's one of the dopest MCs in the fucking universe, is fucking talking about Palestine in her own cultural perspective 
and what's going on. That's hip hop. That doesn't mean she's appropriating or she's trying to be like cats from the South Bronx or anything like that. She's talking about through her lens, what the fuck is going on and drawing awareness and creating messages and talking about her experiences. So you continue to posit that people are, now let, let me back up. There are people that appropriate hip hop culture. There are people in our own fucking uh, country who make certain types of music and talking about they don't give a fuck about hip hop culture, yet we still invite them into our own culture. So I, I, I have a whole issue with this appropriation conversation, especially with people that don't even listen to shit from overseas, don't know what the fuck is going on. I know people lost their fucking lives for this shit. I know people who've had their houses burned down for this shit. I know That's people who had community centers and had their shit fucking forged because of this culture. So don't posit that people have not sacrificed or given up shit. I never said, and, I never said that, so let's not. Yeah, but that's what you're, you're saying, oh, people are taking hip-hop blueprint. Yeah, to solve their problems. But that's what I'm saying. People. That's what you just said, that people use music to, to take the system down. No, that's you're, problem you're solving. Trying twist, you're trying I'm not, to twist it. You're saying that, man, that you just said blueprint. people, you just said no, let me people back, use. Let me back up. I'm saying that you're saying people, oh, people are taking the hip hop blueprint and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm saying they've looked at hip hop and identify with hip hop. Maybe there's rapping in their traditional culture. Oh, Maybe just... some soldiers brought that shit. No, you're getting frustrated. You're saying identifying. I'm not frustrated at all. I'm just saying you, 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 you're saying they took it and identified. I said, it, I said they took it and. They're using a blueprint. I mean, we're playing semantics. You know, they're no, looking we're not at semantics. The, the, the look. They're looking at the way that we handled our business over here, and they're using that as a method and a strategy to handle similar business where they're from. I would even posit that some people are even, especially in Palestine, are basically doing it better than we the fuck are right now. They're basically dealing with the whole fucking occupation of Zionists. Now I'm gonna get your shit shut down. <laughs> uh, and they're basically fighting, bucking up against the system. We're sitting here wishing and praying that Obama will save our asses. Ain't nobody talking Ain't nobody talking about Obama. But you're talking about blueprint, but cats, yeah. cats are fucking improving on that shit. Cats are making their own blueprints. Cats are looking at ways to innovate. Cats are building fucking community centers okay. in fucking Cambodia. And they're doing I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. What innovation would you say is um that influenced american because uh, american is where hip-hop started what mm -hmm. global innovation you think most influences hip-hop as past present or past to present what you think global innovation meaning that that particular sound or that particular innovation mm -hmm. was founded somewhere else and it now influences american hip-hop well actually several things i would posit that craft work uh, rest in peace for the homie or whatever. Craftwork was a huge influence on hip hop culture very, very early on. And their production was hugely influential. And anybody can fucking look that shit up and how Craftwork played a huge role in influencing hip hop culture. But as far as recently, um, this is probably not as tangible to people, but I would look at a uh, place like Tiny Tunes in Cambodia, it's actually a community center. The way that they do their work in comparison to a lot of other stuff that I've seen, not just in the States, but around the world, has people go there from all over the world to study 
their models and the way that they do their work. Working with under-resourced communities, working with kids, teaching them how to DJ and b-boy, but doing that through a lens of like social justice. And how they've done that work and how they've participated in reconciliation efforts has been hugely influential in that particular space in the through hip hop or whatever. So I know a lot of people don't understand or like relate or know what the fuck I'm talking about, but like but that, that's the but that's my thing. That's that's actually my yeah. point. The, what? The fact that the things that you describe are not familiar huh. with well, the, the predominant hip hop. Very familiar. Okay. I, I'm unfamiliar with them, but maybe that's just my ignorance. I'll give you that. But what I'm saying is um, now I want to draw a similar comparison the other way because uh-huh. I want to draw a straight line comparison. There's a uh-huh. straight line comparison between Chicago drill, New York drill, UK drill. That's okay. a straight line. Okay. What I'm looking for is a straight line back. So such and such to such and such. I mean, I understand that- what you're saying, but I don't think you've been wanting to talk about UK drill, but if we're talking about hip hop, that's not an avenue that we need to be going down. I mean, yeah, well, we can't duck that because, I mean, the UK is a very, it's like one of the most prominent areas in the world outside of America. One of them, anyway, as far as hip-hop music goes. UK drill is not considered hip-hop. Like, hip-hop culture, when I go to UK, there's like a certain scene, there's a certain vibe, there's a certain community that belongs to UK hip-hop. Same thing if I go to Germany, same thing if I go to France. If I go hang out with cats in UK drill, there is no at least in my opinion and my experience, there's no crossover. So maybe that, I think that's different in the States, but overseas there isn't that. And even in grime culture, people think grime is hip hop. Grime is not hip hop. That's a whole mm. different scene, a whole different community. So I understand mm. what you're trying to get to. What would, what would you call grime? Cause grime, I listened to some grime. It sounded a lot like hip hop to me. Grime, grime actually came out of garage music. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few jungle cats that it came out of. Um, there are a lot of cats that came from, again, Caribbean uh, descent that had parents that were toasting and DJing and a part of the sound system culture in the UK in the 80s. Uh, mm, to Irene, all those cats. No, that, I'm, that's what it is. No, I know you're right, but I'm saying there was a major influence in gr- uh, uh, garage music too. That was Timberland. Timberland? Garage music goes back way before that. Okay. A lot of those cats came from Caribbean descent or the Windrush generation, their parents, and they came from a culture called reggae, toasting, all this other shit. So there's a through line here. Just there's a through line here. I know where you're trying to get to, but that's like you're driving around the curb. No, I'm looking for a straight line, and I'm saying that straight line doesn't exist. That innovation doesn't exist. To go to my to my big picture point, but from, craft work it does exist. I I think it's your own ignorance that is and your lack of knowledge as far as craft work goes, um, and their influence on. They were some cats from Germany, um, and there's also a lot of other stuff that was happening prior to hip hop's birth and whatever people think it was. Uh, that were influenced by, you know, even b-boy and b-girling, pop rocking, a lot of that shit came from Puerto Ricans. Uh, you had cats watching Capoeira. You had cats watching kung fu movies. So there's a there's a, a cultural exchange that's always happened in this culture. When cats were DJ, they were just playing hip hop records. They were looking for the break. So we talk about innovation in hip hop. Uh, there's 
it's a reciprocation of like cultural energy that was happening all way all you know all the way like you're uh, you're like are you negating that i'm not negating those peripheral those but these are peripheral influences though these are not direct influences no, craft, like i was craft saying work was a huge influence i'd like you okay to how, how many people are familiar with craft work though a lot of people don't barely know the history of hip-hop let alone know who craft work people that are knee-deep in hip-hop people that consider themselves practitioners should know who craft work is and that's what's a lot of problem with cats today they don't know their history and they just call up that shit up on the fucking internet they don't do the work they don't do the knowledge so educate the educate us about craft work and uh i mean tell us about him and what's what's going on with craft work what 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 don't we know that we need to know i mean most people don't know anything about craft work educators <laughs> uh but i'm talking about people in the chat so craft work were a german band they were from a place called dusseldorf um and they're basically pioneers in this whole like electronic music scene that was being birthed in like the early 1970s uh over there in um europe and germany specifically so a lot of a lot of the stuff that they were doing especially like planet like planet rock or if you look at um by african bombada and the soul sonic four um that was largely influenced by craft work okay um, now a, for the people huh? for the people who are listening uh via the podcast i have an image uh -huh. of uh, uh craft work pulled craft up work. it's four white dudes in a in some in some trying leotards it's four white dudes and trying <laughs> leotards and 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 these that's and these motherfuckers are supposed to be is is these motherfuckers is, this is the picture that's on their wikipedia so when, when people see them this is what you see four old white dudes but this looks like a recent performance uh from them and trying mm -hmm. suits doing some and these people and see this is the type of shit i'm talking about these people are supposed to be somehow accredited four white dudes in trying suits are accredited with a culture that ended up taking the lives I, of a Biggie Smalls, uh, uh, Tupac Shakur, the music we listened to in the back of old Chevys as we dealt with shit and smoke weed, the music we grow up to, these people are supposed to be peripheral influences. Okay, I give that. They peripheral influences, but they're not direct influences. I don't I don't agree with that. If you listen to the fillers for like rocking it, if you listen to Jay-Z's It's All Right, um, which uh, I think was a talking head once in a lifetime, he sampled that. Um, if you look at even going back to JJ Fad numbers, if you go back to Egyptian Lover, a lot of them sampled Kraftwerk. A lot of them attributed their their kind of like influence to Kraftwerk, or you know what I mean. So you're calling it like a peripheral uh, influence when in reality, a lot of cats were breaking to that shit. A lot of cats were listening to that shit at that time. Cats were listening to a lot of different shit, but I think Kraftwerk um, even. Uh, it's influence with funk and a lot of the shit, even uh, George Clinton talks about that shit. You can go look up interviews with George Clinton and how he talked about craft work. So, I mean, people, uh, nobody's attributing him, them, it's them, uh, to uh, starting hip hop or birthing hip hop. But I'm saying there's an acknowledged uh, influence there by craft work. And there's also acknowledged influence by other outside uh, entities that you don't want to acknowledge because they're 
not American. Quote, it's not about America. It's about being Black American. And, and let me do this because we're going to have to do this on a part two. But we just really scratched <laughs> the surface. It's a lot more here. But I want to, I want to, I want to submit my basic premise because mm -hmm. this is my perspective. You know, anything outside of this is, is a conversation, but this is my uh, perspective that I wanted to bring on tonight. The origin of hip hop is black Americans. The root of that can be found in black American music, such as jazz and funk and even uh ragtime and just these blues and these different um, black American art forms that ended up producing hip hop. So the origin of hip hop, even though it has its again peripheral influences, its origin was here in America. Not only that, its greatest contribution was done by Black Americans who actually lost their lives in this contribution. Have other people contributed to hip hop globally? Yes, an indefinite yes. Okay, that, there's nothing you can take away from other people who have contributed. Contributed, but the dominant and most prominent contribution to hip-hop was done by black americans and with that being suggested black americans owned hip-hop in, in such a way that we can suggest we can say you know what this particular sound ain't hip-hop or uk drill that ain't it shut that down we it's not about american exceptionalism um as much as this is our thing and for people like us who have been stripped of so much throughout our history on this in this country on this land when we say something is ours and when people say that it's not but it is that it, it takes us to another level because it's like wait a second what can we own if we can't own our own sound and we got to share that with everybody and, and then not only share but people get confused and start telling us that it's not well wait a second we got to have a major conversation so that's my basic um premise on tonight but i i do think you did bring a lot of light to the situation that that you're the perfect person to have this conversation with because you're the only person that I know that I can have this conversation with on a deep level because you can bring that global light to the conversation with these craft works and these Dutch TVs and shit to where we can talk about some of these other um, influences and even debate are they peripheral or were they direct influences or not so um, I truly truly enjoy um, your you calling in and participating in this premiere podcast. Thank you for having me, <laughs> and I appreciate it. I appreciate being able to have this conversation. Um, and I, if you would like to know more, you would like some playlists, or you want some resources in regards to this topic, I'd be more than happy to send any of you those links at any time. <laughs> so thank right. you. What's your information so people can follow you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram at Natalie Crew, N A T A L I E C R U E, or Culture Fix underscore uh, everywhere. I'm not on Black Planet. I'm not on Plenty of Fish. So don't go there looking for me. <laughs> but you can't. But you can go to the OnlyFans. That's OnlyFans is up. <laughs> I'll be reading y'all a fucking book because it, it it shows some of y'all didn't read a hundred books to get a free piece of pan uh at fucking Pizza Hut. <laughs> so y'all can catch me on the internet everywhere. So all right, so yeah, that was fun, man. We got to do this again. We got to keep this popping. So until next time, pound for pound podcast. I am the Black Guru. What I offer is sage wisdom. One love.